Hello and welcome to NLAB Talks. I'm your host Nurgül, the founder of NLAB Architectural Communications. Architecture is inspirational and so are the people behind it. We want to talk design culture, new projects and the unique stories that have made it all possible. In our second episode, I'm very excited to welcome Jonathan, founder of Tumbizi Studio. Jonathan Mizzi is a Maltese British designer and qualified as an architect at the Bartlett School of Architecture. During his education, he also attended the USC School of Cinematic Arts in Los Angeles and escape studios in London studying digital set design, visual effects and animation. After working at Foster & Partners, his love for science fiction and high-tech architecture led him to working in Jason Bruce Studio and Cinemod Studio. Since launching Mizzi Studio in 2011, the practice grown in London and Malta with award-winning projects ranging from architecture to industrial design, interactive design and commercial artworks. In this conversation, we talk through his journey to this point and the ideas fueling his practice today. Now, here is the interview. I hope you enjoy. Where does your fascination for architecture come from in the first place? My first sort of, well, my real fascination for architecture started from seeing my first Star Wars movie. <laughs> really? Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, I think, you know, the worlds and the architecture that we found in, in Star Wars was so exciting and it was so free and so dynamic and so you know, colorful and in space there was, you know, no gravity. So, you know, there were all these different forms and, and they always just seemed so more advanced than us um, and that's what really got me excited about architecture I didn't sort of necessarily at the time think oh I'm going to become an architect I just remember being very excited about about science about the built environment within science fiction movies and the, and the, and the futuristic environments they portrayed yeah I think you have a like background more yes. in architecture yeah and, I, and so I have a a mixed academic background um, in architecture and um, also in visual effects, film and animation. So I studied, I went to USC mm-hmm. uh, School of Cinematic Arts in Los Angeles, which is where like, George Lucas and Spielberg did all their training. And because I was really, <laughs> after my undergraduate, I was really, I did a bit of work experience. And I was sort of had a bit of a shock that <laughs> when you finish university, you're like, oh yeah, this is the real world. And I've got to do kitchen cabinets and toilets. And I was like, get me out of here. <laughs> so I, um, I said, you know, actually you go to film, no technological restraints, no financial restraints on budgets, no rules of gravity of engineering. Um, so I went and trained, lived in Los Angeles, and what I realized though was that ultimately um, it was a lot of pushing pixels on a screen, too much screen time, and not um, the lack of ultimately making something tangible sort of got to me. I think the biggest thing was I remember going to Sony Studios, and wow. it's like so sunny outside, <laughs> and it's beautiful, it's summer, it's like 30 degrees and then you're in and there's like a big factories of like darkness everyone's on the screen and amazing artists but I was like no, I can't I can't just look at the screen I just so I went back to architecture sort of on a mission to say you know what we can make fantasy a reality that was that was my rather sort of young 
sort of um, ambitions yes, to I make, make the fantasy that. of films that's a reality and obviously since yeah. then I've grown up a lot and I'm a bit more responsible and ideas have evolved but, and yeah also did animation studies at Escape Studios in London mm-hmm. and then went to UCL on the Barlet eventually had that sort of whole train and what was really exciting was that I encountered and went to work for um, Jason Bruges Studio mm-hmm. and Cinemod Studio and they have a film media um, what they focus on is interaction design interactive architecture and they embed sensory technology and fourth dimension this idea of fourth dimensional architecture into spaces and to me that was like wow okay you can actually take the narrative of film and you can plug it into into a space and more than just a narrative you can make it interactive and using that technology to sort of create a real dialogue with a user in a space almost like you're you're the play button in a movie and you can scrub back this interaction with the space and so what Jason Bruges and Cinema were doing was very exciting for me it was a it was a way to take the tools that I had mm-hmm. learned academically and start putting them into practice and also when I checked about your Nisa Studio family like the team they have also very different backgrounds like automobile design to yes. question like yeah. <laughs> how this come um, through into the process of the architectural design I, we, we call us we are a multidisciplinary design studio and I personally have a big passion in industrial design and, and vehicle design and product and, and really sort of most of mm-hmm. most of um, anything creative that's why I was commenting on on this as piece of jewelry because we'd like to also do jewelry we'd like we like all forms of creation I think we see design as a as a holistic overall um, medium and mm-hmm. and I think ultimately you know we we like to um, look look at every project holistically to sort of and every touch point um, emotionally and that's from yes a building and, and how the building sits in public space through to what the interior space feels like and so to you know what the chair feels like and that door handle and I think It's nothing really new, you know. It's what it's what actually during the Renaissance period, everybody was doing. Yes, you, you may remember the greats like you know, Da Vinci and Michelangelo, and they, they do all these buildings and they do sculpture. All of them were doing that back then. It's just that nowadays we sort of seem to have split into this very focused um, sense of disciplines and people, and I think that's a real negative because mm-hmm. I think you know you don't draw from all, all inspirations from all the disciplines to, to sort of create something rich and and I think now we're starting to see certain studios such as Zaha Heatherwick Studio where they're really bringing that sort of multidisciplinary back and I think the results sort of you can see that the difference in their work compared to a exactly. tunnel vision architect because it's a like It's a kind of coming together. It's a not only one exactly. way of doing yeah, things. Exactly. Totally. Yeah. You know, it's it's macro, <laughs> micro. Just it's about the boundaries are all blurred. Yeah. Yeah. So 
Uh, and interestingly, uh, we didn't talk about this at all, but I came across your kiosk design yeah, when no, I'm like uh, out of the Green Park station. So when I turned, oh, I saw this, like, I think it's a sculptural kind of kiosk and it's one of the, the yeah. nine uh, kiosks the for nine the Royal Parks. Yeah. So I want to know it's about the process. How do you take this job and the, like the manufacturing and etc. So it started. We've been working within the Royal Parks for quite some time. Um, our first project was the Fair Cemetery six years ago, which is actually that, that building up there. Um, and you know, it had this very wavy, organic roof in, in, in Bushy Park, all out of timber. And, and that sort of set us on this relationship with the operators and the Royal Parks themselves. The operators are called Kalichi, mm. who have become very close, uh, knit, um, sort of professional relationship we've been on this journey together on, our, on their growth and our growth and um, through the years we did more projects together we did the Westfield um, Kalichi Copper mm. Cafe at the entrance to um, Westfield Stratford from the Olympics um, Stadium and that was a really really interesting project it was it, it sort of takes on the form of this leaf which is the sort of Kalichi logo of their, you know, that stems from their Royal Parks sort of, um, eco roots. And we sort of took their leaf and sort of blew it in the wind and it was landed in this urban environment. The first time they were stepping out of the park, so sort of this leaf in autumn flew, landed. And as the pigment went, we sort of translated that into this dying leaf into this copper lusters. Um, very noble, earthy colour. So that was the sort of Kalichi's evolution into an urban environment. But what was interesting was that it was a larger scale than a kiosk, where it became, mm. it's not a kiosk, it's actually a cafe, but it's so yeah. small, it's like a <laughs> tiny building. And it's a sort of this hybrid of, um, of a sort of very small scale creation. And from that, the Kalichis went into this this tender for the Royal Parks, which we worked on with them, to do a whole new fleet of kiosks. And on top of the whole new fleet of kiosks, the site at the Serpentine, um, they are, the Royal Parks brief was blue sky. They had seen the Westfield mm-hmm. thing, and they sort of said, well, for this site, you can think out of the box and you know come up with a blue sky element. And that's how we came up with um, the Serpentine. Yeah. So we sort of approached this tender with a design for a family of nine kiosks mm-hmm. and the Serpentine. And we won it. So that's sort of the history of how we got the job and our relationship with Kadichis. And then obviously there's the whole design process, which mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. talk to you about. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be perfect. Because like, uh, I think it will going on to another Hyde Park yeah, so, so I should talk to you really about uh-huh. so the brief of the Royal Parks uh-huh. was they wanted to create a family um, of kiosks and the, the, the kiosks had to represent, very much represent you know, what the Royal Parks are about. You know, they are, um, you know, there are recreational spaces for Londoners. Mm-hmm. They are, they're all about heritage. They're all about sustainability. And they yeah. wanted to create a sort of series of, sort of beacons for because they are like attraction points as well. Um, yes, yeah, so that's fine. Sorry, uh-huh. just repeat that. Um, so they wanted to create these um, 
you know, iconic friends for you as your refreshment zones, mm-hmm. which are also information points within the parks. And so that was very much their brief, but they also didn't want to create, and which is really refreshing, they didn't want to create identical kiosks. Um, they wanted them to be part of a family. So we really approached that like in that manner. How can we constantly sort of surprise and delight people as they walk through the parks? You know, everybody doesn't want monotony. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, they do need to tie back to each other. So we looked at certain uh, elements from from uh, from the actual site context themselves. Mm-hmm. So with um, Albert Memorial or any of the other sculptures that were brass, we incorporated them into um, the skirting, etc. And... Um, we looked at them as sort of siblings, brothers and, and sisters, you know, so yeah. you have a sister and then you have certain, you might have the same eye colour or the same chin and, and it, was, it was the same there. And we looked at timber. Timber um, was from a sustainable point of view and we, all of our projects at Mitsu Studio, I think, in terms of, sort of say, what our, our approach mm-hmm. is, our approach to all design is um, we look using ancient or old school traditional craft and we look at fusing traditional craft with um, state-of-the-art digital manufacturing techniques so in Westfield's case it's it's um, you know the manufacturing of naval boat techniques and fiberglass and then fusing that with 560 individual bespoke pieces and what, what it's allowed us to create is sort of a, a bespoke pattern that articulates the form in a manner that you couldn't do in the past. And this is copper yeah. sheathing that you find on the Kati or in boats, and then 16,000 rivets, but it's, it's all laser cut, bent back, and hand, and, uh, you know, hand positioned back with the, with the riveting gun. So, um, and that's an example of fusion of the scraps and with the kiosks coming back to the kiosks mm-hmm. of the Royal Park. So the same that was there with steam bent timber. Steam bent timber has been around again since boat building, making boats. And uh, we created, it's about coming up with something that's mm-hmm. you know, an organic shape that's also affordable. Because um, affordability with curves is always a tricky thing. Yeah. Um, but all it is, is behind that, there's... There's a framework, which is all CNC, and it's just one template. And, and then everything, all those steam bed uh-huh. pieces, yes, oh, here's a sample, you know, stuck on. And um, I think the end result is, is, a, is a sort of functional sculpture that is um, very tactile. Uh-huh. Um, you know, this very such a beautiful silhouette, but also it's... It's traditional. It's both conservative but forward-looking. Yeah, when and especially when public when saw this kind of sculpture mm. and kiosk thing, they like admire the crafts as well. Yeah, and they want to like grab a coffee from there, like interact with the kiosk as well. You know, we we're trying to. They're their friends. They're your friends that are there to sort of enrich in your daily lives and. If, yeah. if it makes somebody smile when they have a coffee or take a photo with their 
Yeah, exactly. We wanted to create this this tree-like sculpture, <laughs> you know, a sort of silhouette of an of an oak tree um, that just blends into the environment. Because ultimately, context is is key, right? You always yeah, yeah. And then there was looking at site context and making sure that emotionally that it, it's going to fit the the material landscape. Because uh, like it seems that all of your projects uh, have a lot of freedom, like in their sets, but also uh, they are very really site specific. Like, mm. but once you leave the building in here, like mm. the green park, and it inhabits itself uh, and creates its own destiny. So I think it's a good thing. But how do we achieve this? Like, I think, I think what. In general, any sort of the majority of our work is very free flowing. So yes, I think free flowing is always freer, right? It's 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 it, a lot of our work is very animated because it's it's sort of capturing a state of balance and kind of movement, um, and that mainly is it's almost like this, I guess, striking a pose, you know, and and. Um, It's always about interacting with the public and making a gesture to the public. And mm-hmm. so, with with for example, the serpentine, mm-hmm. um, which is a good example that the serpentine takes its form from the serpentine river in terms mm-hmm. of it starts off with okay, let's let's make a, let's derive the form from a serpent. But the serpent we find is you know, is quite aggressive. Um, but we wanted to capture that. You know, when you if you look. At go into the sort of king co- into a king cobra serpent yeah. territory it sort of starts sticks up at you and it, it catches you looming and and that's what we wanted in we at the end of the day with a commercial business like say the Kalichis, we're trying to drive their business for people to buy coffee etc so we need to lure them in so we sort of evolved that that form to create keeping that luring strength of this sort of predator but made it a lot gentler and a lot smiling so made the smiling stingray so <laughs> i don't know if you scuba dive or yeah. <laughs> if you've ever been diving and you see a stingray yeah. it's sort of they're so beautiful they, or a manta ray they, you know, they, or a whale shark you know, they stop <laughs> you stop in their presence you're you're in awe but, you're then, they're, but then they're very smiley and they're very happy so after being this sort of mythical awe of a beautiful creature from nature they're also very friendly and and that's what we wanted to create with this project and and as you can see when you when you walk in to the underbelly of this floating stingray there's this sort of reptilian texture and it's about taking the people on this sort of experience of this magical canopy i'm sorry that's probably just gone off on a very specific project as an answer but i think that freedom comes from A lot of things. A convincing the client, <laughs> my own personal and own mm-hmm. studio's philosophy. It's it's we we want to create very dynamic, non-static architecture. If we could, all of our buildings would fly and move and, and speak to you with interactive sensory technology. I think that's a bit hard and you know also not correct. Nobody wants to live in a Las Vegas casino constant moving parts so you always have to respect context but 
Also, yeah. you have an engineering like companies like together working with in this special. In, in this case, we're working with Arup on the Serpentine, and so that's really exciting. And we're also working with a company called Moldcam. And what's mm. super exciting about that is they we have no we have no steel work in this um, mm. composite material. It's it's all milled out of um, one piece. Really, but it's it, yeah. and then we split. We actually are splitting it into three pieces because of transportation mm-hmm. but it's amazing that they're using the inherent structure of of um, glass fiber and, and, and using it in a way that can can form this monocoque shell that is super strong and and, and you really sort of incorporated designs like the front of the nose of this you know, big stingray is a natural arch and then towards the rear there are two reverse arches on the person point, so that's sort of the engineering. I'm yeah. excited to see. Yeah, it's really exciting. Yeah, we we yeah, went yeah. on site today. The first that was today was the first really? day we were on site, oh. <laughs> and uh, it's oh, should be fingers crossed opening um, first week of um, June. Wow, perfect. Let's exactly. see. Exactly in multi innovation subject, I like listened to your talk, and you mentioned the quote that. Um, art challenges technology and technology mm. inspires art. Like, mm. I think it's such a beautiful, it really sums up yeah. what innovation is, I think. Um, so, for example, speaking about the, mm-hmm. the Westfield um, Cafe, that, that's, that, that was an example of you know, mm. using technology that inspires us, that we see, that we see, is it either by visual effects or computer-aided design where new scripting, new skins and, and um, parametric sort of, um, generative components that, that we could never have sort of even dreamed of before. Um, and, you know, we see them and, and, and that sort of, that inspires new forms, right? That inspires us, that's technology that's sort of come yeah. about through our sort of amazing um, evolution of creating tools and our, oh, and nowadays we have these series of tools that when you plug together you come plug in together you can come up with a series of um, expressions that we never thought were possible so in that case you know, we're always constantly on the lookout for new forms of technology that, that, that can drive how we work um, and I think likewise the other way around obviously is that as we've evolved our ambitions as architects have in that talk I go on I sort of I mentioned the pyramids you know and how how we had to come up with ingenious ways of transporting rock across the desert you know and <laughs> how we came up with with everything from yeah. the wheel and and, and and rolling things across and then you know, and that's that's us, our ambitions to create spaces, making us come up with ingenious ways to create things, and um, and now there's this really lovely recipe. So we try and stay on top of what's we try and stay abreast of new technologies, of what's happening now. That's virtual reality, you know, augmented reality. How's that working? And we're, look, we're using real-time rendering softwares to sort of use for 
live syncing our environments when we're creating something in a 3D environment. We're seeing it rendered in real life. You know, yeah. it's it's all about um, ultimately coming up with a better experience. But then also from a professional service point of view, these tools are amazing. The fact that you can take your clients in and really get them to experience the, the sort of collaborative vision you're making is yeah. is it's a very exciting time for us. I I think it's a very it's a super exciting time to be in the yeah I agree. In the profession. And especially not only an architectural part, also you you have design kind of tables. Yes. The oak, oak yes. Table this, is, this is the first <laughs> this is the first table. And you know what in fact you should we should swap seats and you should you have to experience sitting inside huh, okay. the head of the table. So this is the awful table. Oh and um and also, how about like the scale issues? Because as we talked earlier yeah. in the beginning, that architecture is not kind of thing that uh, designing only buildings. What's your motivations to design it? Oh, scale um, things? I think I think with again sort of wanting to be able to sort of reach out and have every touch point within a space that we create to sort of mm -hmm. always have a sort of holistic. Um, experience throughout the space that's what sort of I love would say somebody like Gaudi you know if you go to his buildings they uh, I guess they are controlled in the sense that they were created by this architect but you know it's all the detail down into his chairs you know and you you live in this world that is very pure from a sort of untainted and uh, I think often uh, buildings can get sort of and spaces evolve and change through the operator that comes in or then the, <laughs> the branding designer comes in and sticks this and before you know it everything gets distilled or so I, there's a little bit of that but I was saying I'm all control <laughs> it's not just that it's also just furniture um, it's free and it's, it's fun and it's sometimes it's nice to just do something that's not so the architecture is as wonderful <laughs> as a profession as it is. It's it's a very stressful profession. You know, it's a lot of onerous. This is my water. Onerous uh, responsibilities, and uh, you know, sometimes you just want to <laughs> do sculpture for the sort of sake of sculpture's sake. Everything we do is functional. I mean, this is still a functional table, but mm -hmm. it's just there are no moving parts. And, and, so it's something we really want to, I'd like to get into more and do more pieces, but it's also quite a difficult industry. So it's um, something which we will be coming back to after um, we sort of want to try and establish our services, sign mm -hmm. our business more. So, and then hopefully this, sort of, if we get more of a reputation within architecture and, and, and interiors, it might help us grow this other side yeah. of the <laughs> exactly. business. And like, as we are in a new kind of digital uh, era, so the education also gets more and more challenging yeah. about the kind of technologies and the millennials. <laughs> pro. Yeah. So the educational uh, like projects are changing. Uh -huh. And um, what's your approach to designing school, like an education for millennials? I think uh -huh. you have a project. Yes, Chiswick House is doing in collaboration with another studio in Malta called MNP Studio. Um, I don't, I think, 
had we been designing this, you mentioned millennials, I mean, had we been designing this tool 100 years ago, uh, the core sort of principles of the way we address the design and address the design would have been the same, really. I think there is this growing sense with, with the world just becoming a lot more dense, you know, and us developing and developing and developing, especially in metropolitan cities. Um, you really need to cater for outdoor space massively, and I think so. If there's ever been a time, if, there, if there's ever been a time to sort of create green spaces, it's now, and especially for our children. So, with regards to Chiswick, we really approached it with uh, learning within the art of playing in nature, mm. um, and in fact, out of the whole footprint of the site, which is sixteen thousand square meters, we only propose to develop. 30% and the rest of the other 70% mm. is, is all yeah. is all to the playgrounds um, and to be within nature and to, you know borrow away in tunnels and, and play and um, I think there's a there's this there's this growing sense of uh, nature not a sense of apparently it is happening that there's this sort of syndrome of this nature deficit disorder that's really affecting the sort of behavioural development of children. Yeah. You have children, um, you know, there are links back to saying, you know, um, ADHD and um, anxiety, social anxiety, all of these things linked back to not, you know, to being confined and to, and to not being at one with nature. And so I think now so even more so in terms of, okay, millennials, mm-hmm. and I think the other thing with millennials, and I think the other sort of downsides to technology is, is the is the for example the mobile phone culture you know and this this um, addiction of, of of constant stimulation that a mobile phone gives and I think I think controlling that or ensuring that we can have our children have less screen time and have clean technology free fun you know I think. That's key. So, my my answer to my, my original question was answer to your question was oh we would have been the same hundred years ago but you know absolutely I think it's becoming there is a difference for millennials and that is let's ensure that original interpersonal human interaction with ourselves but um, also nature is happening at grassroots because it's yeah. super important. Exactly, because like the na- nature, like uh, is a kind of another thing for the children yeah. now. Like, it, it's not the part of their life. It should be, you know. Yeah, that's what's crazy. It's like it should have yeah. just been part of daily life. We just forget that it's not. But for everybody else, it was always. You know? And I think that comes on to not just schools. You know, the whole the whole sort of aspect of architecture and yeah. and modern day society in and and really more so in, in metropolitan cities. We need green spaces, we need to for our own mental state, you know. Mm-hmm. London is so well, actually it's not the most dense city, but you know it's a dense city. And there are more dense cities like Hong Kong, etc. But super dense, super expensive living costs. So your homes are already smaller. 
Um, access to green space is really tricky. Like having a garden, having your own garden is really expensive. Yeah. So if there's ever a time to sort of have, say, the Royal Parks of London, um, it's now it's that responsibility to cater for uh, the public and giving them green spaces back in a shared community sense is critical nowadays, uh, more so than ever. Exactly. What are you optimistic about the future? The thing I'm most excited about, and I wish we could fast forward <laughs> 10, 20 years, really, um, is, um, is the changes that the autonomous transport vehicle industry will have on the built environment, right? It's going to have a massive effect, um, and that's a really good example of how technology is going to be um, really saving our environment, but certainly contributing to a better quality life. And on the one hand, you've got the electrification of vehicles, all the emissions of our vehicles disappearing, so you know, no more polluted streets, no more diesel buses. Um, all the fumes are gone, so that's great. But then, this idea of sh- car sharing, and if you know, like nowadays we have the Ubers of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I come from a tiny island called Malta, and we really have a, a big congestion problem where we don't have much of a public transport system. The whole island runs on like we're four hundred thousand people. There are four hundred thousand cars. It's a lot of bad air quality, but. Um, that island can actually run on 50,000 shared cars. So you imagine all those cars are gone. Yeah. Imagine all the parked cars, even outside the street, they're gone. Every other car becomes a tree. You know, <laughs> you've reclaimed all the streets and they've become trees and green spaces again. And the shared cars, which are emission free, are just sort of hovering around on the outskirts. And coming in, you know, they don't need to ever be stationary parked on our residential streets, and they sort of come in and they take you on your journey. That to me is really, I'm very, I'm very excited about that, and certainly I'm seeing it. I'm seeing the challenges we're facing in Malta, which I know that you know, the government's addressing now with the metro system, etc. So it's, so I'm very optimistic about how, for example, it's going to that technology will change. My home country will change the world, and one day we might not even be having cars; we'll be drones. So you're going to reclaim even more space. And I think the concept of a car park will disappear. And if you take the car park out of car park, it's a park. <laughs> so you know that's yeah. that's really exciting. Yeah. You know, ten, ten, ten years, and for certain smaller countries, it might take a, a long a bit longer. But so. Um, yeah, I'm an optimist by nature, and, and that's something I'm, I'm, I'm really optimistic about. I really can't wait to see. Perfect. And what's next for you and uh, you, me in the studio as well? <laughs> so, um, there is something I'll show you after. A little support. Uh, but I think, I think going to what is next for us, um, I think, you know, we will be moving, we're moving ahead with with all the disciplines we're currently working at. Um, we are, in terms of architecture, interiors, industrial, um, product, 
we are looking to move into the um, automotive industry in terms of vehicle design. So um, that's something we'll be working on, which is really exciting. Um, can't show the projects just yet, but that's that's something. <laughs> and and really looking to just grow our projects in terms of scale. Mm-hmm. So um, essentially do the sort of work we're doing now. Um, try to grow in projects that have you know real social and environmental positive impact and cultural impact yeah. and and try and do that on a larger scale so at the moment we're sort of working on a, on a small scale which which um, we're very content with but we would like to do larger scale projects mm-hmm. and have more of an influence more of a reach um, so but then we've grown into Malta and in Malta we're doing a really interesting luxury, um, state-of-the-art health, wellness, spa, gym, mm. which is really exciting, I'll be opening next year, and it's about this fusion of organic, fluid design, and technology for fitness, and combining them together. Um, well, it's, it's a very inspiring talk, especially, ah, about, I think, with your background, to come into an architect, as, yeah. like, it, it, it's really inspiring. Thank, thank you, you very so much. much. Thank you for coming in, and, and it's... Uh, I'm really enjoying seeing your 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 feed and and you possibly the most um, what's the word well in the know traveled design <laughs> feed that I mean you're going on every single tour um, so you have a lot of energy. Thank you. I saw the Ross Love Grove um, talk. Oh, thank you again. Thanks for listening to this week's episode, and don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes and Spotify. See you next time.